trying to kind of be creative and bring in those delightful moments. It's like, okay, let's get the fundamentals out of the way. It's like, get the fundamentals done. Now, how do we push on the brand? How do we kind of like, what is the fun moments that we can bring into this? Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to Nodes of Design. To help support our mission spread knowledge, we have a very special guest on today's episode. Let's welcome Ian McConkey, who is an award-winning digital product designer under Design Executive, whose career started in 2000 working for MTV in London. Entertainment and cultural media have always been a core influence in his design approach, emphasizing on the emotional experiences as an utility of a digital product or a service. He has worked for brands and clients such as Disney, Visa, McLaren F1, Transport for London, News UK, Netflix, and Headspace. Currently, he is the Senior Director of Product Design at Chowner. In the last decade, he has focused on people management, supporting talented product designers to deliver best-in-class product and services to their intended audiences. As a visual creative, Ian encourages his team to play, remix, and look at things sideways, pushing on brand and using storytelling to create a differentiated product experience while remaining accessible for all. In this episode, Ian had shared great insights on creativity and differential experiences. We spoke on how to bring creativity and differential experiences to any digital product and what is a structure or a framework that one must follow. We also spoke on how designers could strive to bring uniqueness in product experiences while solving business problems and as creatives, how could one stay focused on the outcome without thinking or stressing too much about metrics and data. In the later part, we spoke on what are the different ways to train oneself to explore beyond typical patterns and how to deliver great fun and interactive product to the end user where Ian had shared great insights from his experience working at Headspace. In the end, we spoke on how could design managers and leaders shape their team to bring creativity and uniqueness into the product that they are crafting for. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode and on every Friday, we release new episodes with different creative leaders from around the world to help you better understand different concepts related to design. So don't forget to tune in into Notes of Design every Friday. With that being said, happy designing everyone. Hi, and welcome to Nodes of Design. It's a pleasure to host you today on our show. Hey there. It's, it's, it's great to be here. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ian. So if you could give a brief about yourself to our listeners out there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I've been working in design in some shape or form for about 20 years now. Um, originally came in on in graphic design as a, as a kind of a what my field of study and moved into digital design. I, I kind of was working for companies like MTV in-house, which is one of my first roles, really understanding how to how to get the fundamentals of web design, how to really figure that out um, way back in 2000. And uh, from there, kind of evolved through different roles, working in a digital agency, making software products for, for mobile apps, working with loads of different clients. Maybe we can maybe talk about some of those later to where I am now, having worked at back in-house for companies like Headspace, uh, working on meditation and mindfulness and, and how the how the brand can be infused into the product experience. And then working for Netflix, like understanding entertainment at kind of global scale. Um, and now just starting a new role uh, as this podcast has been recorded at a company called China, who is looking, after, looking to support uh, local restaurants and businesses and help them thrive. Thanks, Ian. So what was your journey into design and how did you start? And what are your tips to the beginners on how to start? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've been doing this a while. So my journey started way, way long ago. 
I mean, I grew up um, in the kind of 80s and 90s, and, and that is a kind of big kind of creative culture moment. There's a lot of kind of, um, I guess, an explosion in culture. Uh, we had lots of kind of, I mean, I just remember the the, the movies of the time, the, you know, the kind of the, the Back to the Future, the Indiana Jones, the kind of Ghostbusters, all those kind of movies that were kind of like really great when it came to storytelling, really great when it came to kind of like uh, taking you on a journey. And also very limited. Like those were the only ones that kind of existed. Now there's so many things, there's so many movies, TV shows and things. But back then it was few and far between. And at some point, I don't know where it came from. I was always interested in drawing. You know, I always was doodling, whether that was in class where I wasn't supposed to be doodling or at home. Uh, I wouldn't say I was a great artist by any means. Um, I, I actually... I'm really bad at stuff like still life or anything that's detailed, but anything that's kind of abstract, I can do. I actually had a fine art teacher um, say to me, I wasn't, I was, wasn't, wasn't very good at the fine art, but I was very good at sort of technical straight lines and boxes. So I, I guess that was kind of foretelling my kind of move into kind of digital and product design, where all you do is make rectangles, right? But, uh, but uh, you know, I did once paint an, an ice cream truck uh, for a friend of mine, a friend that they had an ice cream truck, they wanted some cartoons on the side I paid those for them so I, I understood kind of visual design very on as well I, I think when I came into when it started to work from going a very manual process to a digital one was when I started to mess around with computers and, and I was making mixtapes so back when you made a cassette tape with music on it and you had you had all your different tracks you I would make cover art using um I would cut things out of magazines and kind of cut and paste it manually and then with computers I was like oh I can scan things now and I can digitally manipulate those things and, and, and add color and do a tone things uh, and that for me it was like oh this is really fun this is cool um I also studied computer science alongside that as well so I was working with computers. I was working in this kind of creative medium um, because my parents had said, hey, you need to, this art stuff is really interesting, but make sure you understand how technology works. Make sure you understand all of these things as well because you don't know, like, is there is there a role in art and design? Is it Does that exist? I didn't know at the time if there was or not, um, but it was really good because I learned basic programming, you know, the, the programming language. So I was it learning understanding logic, well as being very creative. And then, and then, you know, throughout that whole time and being educated and, and kind of growing up, digital replaced all of those things, all the manual things, um, and it became a kind of new way of working. But I think the thing that um, I always held on to I mean, digital feels very rigid to me. It's like it's, it's it's very kind of like, hey, you're now working in a digital form, so now this is kind of done and dusted that it doesn't have the looseness of say a manual drawing or sketching so i've always held on to sketching so even though all my process probably today you know if i was to work on something and, and it would be all digital whether that's figma sketch whatever it is you're using i always start with sketches i always handwrite things i've got notepads filled with just drawings and sketches and my my manual notes because it's it's the kind of it's the direct extension from my brain is like my hand and i can do that and manipulate it really well one, as soon as I get a mouse involved, there's there's a pause somewhere. So I mean, for, when I'm thinking about you know starting out, it's like try and figure out you know what what's your kind of go to kind of loose like where how is it you can kind of connect directly with what's happening in your brain and get it straight onto paper or a digital thing. It's like how can you kind of it's not about the fidelity. I don't think when it comes to design, it's really about the, the creativity and what what is coming out of okay, get an idea down. How quickly can I do it? For some people, it is on paper. For some people, it is on computer. I'm just built as a different way. For me, it's paper. But um, I think unless you're kind of, you know, willing to kind of then take that to the next step and then show it, I think it, it kind of can suffer. So 
you know, definitely push on things that interest you. If you'd like to draw, then great, push on that. If you're if you're coming to design completely fresh from a different, you know, engineering like yourself, okay, well, what what is it that is drawing you to those to design? What is it that you can kind of push on? Um, I figured I was going to be an artist, but it turns out, hey, I'm not necessarily an artist. But the design aspect, the kind of creation aspect I really latched on to. It's always worth having a backup, like other skills that are around that might come in handy in the in the future. So I didn't know that studying computers would actually come in useful for then doing web design. Oh, look, this basic language, I can now change that to, to HTML and I can code in JavaScript. That's really helpful. So that enabled me to do things that were really kind of uh, would, have would have taken me longer had I not studied those things earlier, I think. And just being able to kind of like find something for you that is that little spark that, that really kind of like brings you into design or brings you into it uh, and just playing around with it. Like, again, it's, I think it's very easy to follow tutorials, but those are very often very dry. Like what can you do that's, that's kind of going to be inspiring and, and fun, I think is really, is, is really key as well. Thank you so much, Anne, for sharing this wonderful journey with us. So let's begin our episode today with creativity and differential experiences. So oftentimes yeah. we see almost all the product experiences are very plain and not so unique. So how could designers strive to bring the uniqueness and solve business problem as well? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And I think the what I'm still, I don't have a, a perfect answer for it because I don't know that there necessarily is a, is a perfect way. Because I think depending on the, the business that maybe you're working for, uh, or the product that you're, you're kind of designing, it's very difficult to not consider business needs. Like you have to kind of like, those, those are the things that are going to make the, like those are the constraints that, you know, that you have to work with. It's like, hey, take something like China as an example, where, you know, I'm still understanding the business needs. Um, I don't know yet how I can start to kind of bring a differentiated experience to that product. But if I then think of Headspace, for me, that was a lot clearer. That for me, that was like, hey, here is a product that is at its most basic uh, audio player. You are getting episodes, almost like a kind of audiobook, uh, sequential day by day. You go through this journey, you're listening to audio. Now, the audio in question is actually more than just regular audio, it's meditation. It's actually helping you. It's, it's like, okay, here's a, here's a different way of uh, consuming this, this kind of uh, audio, this uh, thing. It's, it's going to have a really Im impact on you. Um, so how can we reflect that in the product? How can we show that it is it's more than just audio? Uh, how can we bring aspects of the brand into the into the experience as well? Um, and at the time, everything when I, I so a little bit of context, I worked with Headspace twice, once in 2012, and then again in 2019. In 2012, it was very much an audio player, and they had some branding, but it was it was very not chaotic. Um, I think that's that's a dismissive of it, but I think it it hadn't found itself yet. It, had, it wasn't coherent, um, and I think what it needed to do was kind of lean into the fact that it was a very simple product experience. And how can you take aspects of its brand personality and use that to convey the intent of the product? So in this case, it was something that you just played. Uh, they had a branding element that was the, their kind of their dot. Uh, it was actually part of another product uh, logo type. Um, so we simplified it and said, hey, let's just focus on the dot. You open up the product, you press play, um, and and then you begin. Now, that seemed very basic, but as we started to kind of build on that, the thoughts around, okay, how is it? This could take form. How how can you bring the brand into this? It's like, well, the headspace, the dot represents your headspace. 
it shows it, it's a kind of form. It's actually something, if you think of your mind and the way that you can, it is very malleable. Uh, you can kind of educate it and teach it. How could we represent that in, in the dot? Like, can that have taken on a form where it feels tactile, where it has a kind of uh, ebb and flow based on how you do it? It's almost like it's breathing. Uh, and we start to bring that into the product experience. Uh, again, it's still a player, still doing the business need of like playing audio. It's still very accessible. It's, it's a big dot. Um, but what we're starting to look at now is something that's more than just a regular player it's starting to take on a new form um and and when you can start with that kind of simple okay how do we take some this simple interaction and not necessarily flip it on its head but really lean into the brand so the brand it was like hey we're this is about headspace this is about almost kind of changing your composition of your mind to kind of like be more relaxed and it's about breathing so bring that into the product where it makes sense uh, and this wasn't necessarily to delight to differentiate this was just like a simplification that then lended itself to the brand. Um, and I, I think we were very lucky in that the brand already was very kind of established. And, we, and speaking to the founders, we understood what the brand uh, stood for. So we could push that through into the product experience. Um, and then obviously the product then evolved from that 2013 release um, and the, the branding kind of grew from that as well. And then you had all these characters who are, again, representing the different states of your mind so it was the, the dot was the what you interacted with but the the characters were a representation of who you should be how you should be thinking they were educational and they grew and became very kind of pervasive within the product experience so it, it was it really kind of stemmed from a simplification thing so how can designers bring that uniqueness while solving business problems as you stated it's like it's you try and find that little differentiator what is it that's a that your business or your product can do that is not necessarily different again it's still playing audio um cam existed in, in the same time they went in one direction they were about landscapes and kind of like this more kind of familiar meditation experience it was like, oh it's, it's a peaceful meadow or it's a kind of scene we were like no no this is much this is much more focused it's more more inward it's about kind of representing your you as an individual and your journey and what the path that you would end not a generic um calm screen so so those products differentiate from themselves in that way because they've gone in different directions and what they stood for in their brand uh, was different but if you were to strip down those product experiences they're fundamentally the same they're, they're very similar in the way that they work they're very similar in the way that they uh, present audio um so yeah but how, how do you how can you differentiate through different intent and, and different uh, brand purposes is what you need to explore Thank you so much, Anne, for sharing those great detailed examples with us. So is there any particular framework or a structure that one must follow to bring these creative and differentiated experiences? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I touched on it a little. I don't think there's necessarily a framework, but I think as you're trying to kind of un uncover what is it that this product stands for, I think there is a kind of investigation that you need to do. It's like, how, how can you uncover those? Can you think of almost like a kind of is there an emotion that i want that the, the consumer or the user of this product to feel like i want to be happy i want them to be thinking about these things and can you um bring that messaging because because it doesn't necessarily it's not visual so it's not just on visuals like it, it's within the messaging it's within your kind of tone of voice it's all of those things can again i'm, I'm a big I think I realize more and more that I'm very impacted by brands and, and what they stand for. And I, I think that is the differentiation. It's like, okay, we stand for this thing, differentiate us from those things over here. We can compete in the same marketplace. Um, but but here are the things that are core to us. So I think that's that's where you would start is like understanding your brand or understanding your product and why you would be different way before you start thinking about visuals 
it's like if you can you kind of quantify those things um if i was to tell you a story about the brand would you be interested would you and what were the, what were the questions that you you would kind of anticipate that person to ask and then, and only then once you kind of got those kind of key themes you know whether again thinking of headspace it's like hey we're they, i think i remember the founders saying they wanted to be the nike plus of meditation so they were they were again they were not leaning into the kind of um the stereotypical meditation world they wanted to be something that felt scientific they wanted to be something that felt you can progress and go on a journey and that's why we started with the, the this idea of a journey line the, the fact you would see your progression it's like oh I, I'm, I'm improving over time so again those those little notes that you find when you're discussing what the brand stands for those are the things we go okay well if, if it means this to kind of go on a journey then then we should be very we should lean into that we should find those things that we can lean into so understanding your brand is i think is the key thing there i think you're trying to kind of really figure out as well can we differentiate through through visuals can we do that does it make sense to because i think there, there comes a point where you can go too far you can kind of like make things really fun and exciting and and um, you lose track of actually what you're trying to achieve. I think it's 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 a, it's a fine line. I think th those brands that do it well have figured out where to kind of get that balance right. I, I would say Headspace is there. I would say another product that I think when I was at Headspace, we'd often refer to as Duolingo. So they have um, their owl that, that kind of like guides you along. And that makes sense. It's like, here's a kind of guide. The, the owl, I think, would be used in many different ways to kind of like motivate you and to kind of like get you excited about learning a language um but again if you strip that down it's just it's just giving you some text to translate it's just testing you those things but duolingo has been very successful because of that brand because of the way that it, that it yeah, figures out i have no idea how they came up with that or, or why they leaned into having a, a green owl uh educating you but it, it but it works and it, and it helped differentiate them as a, as a product and i think you know you always think of the owl when you think of duolingo so i think the creative and marketing angle of that's been really successful thanks Ian. so as a creative how could we stay focused on the outcome without thinking or stressing too much about the metrics and the data yeah, I mean, I think the I would assume for the most part that you're going to be working and collaborating with people who can do that for you. So you will be working with product managers, you will be working with engineers. Maybe you're lucky you have research and data analysts as well. So this is, you know, I think you can kind of go, oh, I need to consider the metrics. And yes, you do. But it should be a collaborative process. As, as designers, you're able to kind of take those the data, you're able to take the brand and you're able to kind of go, okay, and all those constraints and say, okay, based on what I'm seeing, what I'm understanding, Here's some directions that could answer those things. And it, it, you will come up with multiple ways to do that. I think the, the outcome that you're trying to achieve, with, if that is differentiation, I think will come from conversation with, the, with your partners. You will go, hey, what if we tried this? Here's, here's an interesting thing. We're going to put an owl and it's going to be up front. It's like, okay, well, let's question that together. Don't get too hung up on the, the fact that, oh, this is really fun. It's like, okay, that's, that's great that it's fun. That's great that it's a, it's a kind of branding moment, but um, let's make sure that it is relevant and let's have those conversations. Like, I mean, again, you can test stuff as you go. You don't have to kind of um, do a final design and go, okay, I figured it out. Like, how can you kind of gauge uh, with markets and audiences early on in your process as well? Um, there was a, a process that we would use occasionally at Headspace, which was called this kind of de demand test. Can you just put something out as a, a kind of front door or, or an email or a notification say, hey, we're, we're, gonna, we're doing this thing. Would you be interested? Is that something that would be interesting to you? You can give them a kind of idea. It doesn't have to be a fully formed product yet, but 
would people be interested in this thing? Can they, do they resonate with it? And if they did, then that gave you the kind of like almost green light with your audience say, okay, we should be exploring this further. You would also potentially get feedback and say, hey, this this is interesting, but uh, I don't like these things about it. This is not not resonating. Um, or you would get no response and you go, okay, well, this doesn't work then. Let's let's, let's not progress with this. Um, and, and that way you're, you're not too concerned about the kind of final metrics, like did it perform well, but you, you have a data source, you have feedback. So it's like being able to kind of prototype things early on, play around with them, get feedback, very lightweight. It doesn't have to be, you know, setting up full on user testing. And there's, there's different ways of, of doing that. Um, but again, making sure that, you know, you're as a, as a creative are exploring and, and you have license to explore, but you're still having conversations with your partners. You're having conversations with your, your end, end users. Um, and then you shouldn't need to stress because you're, it is a, there's a kind of virtuous cycle and making something, showing it and, and getting feedback. Thank you so much. Ann. So how could we learn to train oneself to explore beyond typical design patterns and how to deliver that great, fun and interactive product to the end user? Yeah, I, I think exploration is is an interesting one. I, I, again, constraints. If you, I think of when you're working in kind of product and you have to kind of, you have roadmaps, you have, you know, maybe you're working in sprints, maybe you're, you've got two weeks. It's like, well, I've got two weeks, but not only do you want to deliver something at the end of that two weeks. Um, so how does that give you license to explore? How can you kind of like take a, a small amount of time and, and and really kind of push it forward? I think the thing is not to think of it in terms of two week sprints. It's, it's more of a kind of, okay, how do we kind of explore throughout each sprint? How are we continually exploring? What are we looking for in terms of inspiration um, how are we engaging with the whole business and our audiences to understand where the opportunities are to design beyond the typical design patterns is I think those are the, the reference points. I think there's so many great onboarding um, that you can look at. There's so many good websites. I think patterns still exist. I used to use that all the time to say, hey, show me 10 great onboarding flows. And they were really similar, like the, the kind of the way that you kind of get people into a product. There's there's literally books on it. There's the, the, you know there's there's so many great ways. Uh, Apple and um, Google now actually give you guidelines like, hey, if you're going to onboard someone, do this. So the actual flow that you need to figure out, I think, is already there. I don't think you need to worry about that too much. I think you will have to kind of test based on your context because to so to take Spotify's onboarding and put it in your own product, that's not going to work because they have their own objectives in mind. But I think you can learn from those. So I think when you're kind of trying to kind of be creative and bring in those delightful moments, it's like, okay, let's get the fundamentals out of the way. And that, that's, dismiss, again, dismissive, but it's like, get the fundamentals done. Now, how do we push on the brand? How do we kind of like, what is the fun moments that we can bring into this? And in some cases, again, Headspace is a great reference. It was about subtle animation. It was about how things that are moving as you're moving through an onboarding flow that is still very standard. It's it's maybe four screens. You have a swipe or a tap to progress. But in doing that, something happens that's maybe unexpected. Something happens that is in keeping with the brand. There's a smile somewhere. There's a there's a pulse. There's a there's a there's an app, but it's still there. And and you can kind of like notice it. And maybe you don't notice it because quite a lot of people skip onboarding anyway. But but it's there if, if people want to engage with it. And I think the it's always about if it, it, it makes sense. So how you can explore is really clear as well. There's a there's a great um, documentary on Netflix um, called Abstract, uh, and and I would recommend watching all of them. They're just they're, some of them are from different walks of design, but one in particular is the Instagram one, um, and it's from a few years ago now. So this was when uh, Ian Spatler was the the head of design or VP of design at um, Instagram, and he talked about um, I think it was explore the edges. 
So how how do you just kind of go wild with your ideas and make sure that you've you've kind of explored all territories, really kind of gone in and pushed pushed boundaries? Uh, and there's some really good examples again in that documentary, and, and I and I hold on to that explore the edges from from having seen that as a kind of like yeah that's that was something that I felt like I always did and something I was encouraged uh, the team used to do. It was like okay, this is a your first idea is great, the second idea is okay. Let's see another 10 and, and go as far out and wide as you can. Be un, unconstrained as much as you can. And then we'll use constraints to kind of like go, okay, this, this idea is great. There's an aspect of this thing over here that's also interesting. And what if we combine those things? What if we start to remix uh, and then start to kind of like leverage some really fundamental design patterns along with these interesting aspects that maybe we would not have considered had we just followed regular patterns? Thank you so much, Anne. So how could design leaders and managers shape their team to bring creativity and uniqueness into the product that they are crafting for? Yeah, and I think this kind of touches a little on diversity of not only the, the team, but also the kind of the, the business as a whole. So how do you, I think we, again, when you think of technology and, and, and product, um, it has been historically kind of very people who are in tech, people who understand the technology, it's it's more often than not being kind of white males, which I am one, you know, there's there's kind of like, those are the people who've been up front. But increasingly, as we see the kind of like, you know, diversity and, and more people with different skill sets and more backgrounds coming into design and into product, we're now seeing these products and experiences that kind of are are informed by their different backgrounds, are informed by what they can bring to, to the table. And I always try... I, I always don't always succeed in bringing together a kind of diverse team onto projects. Like how can we not just have another product designer be involved in this? Can we bring someone from, you know, even having branding designers who don't really understand product uh, in the same way that a product designer might and bring them into the product design process so that they're not just doing these static uh, graphic arts now any, anymore. They're now thinking about how it can move, how it can be part of that. Um, so bringing in different skill sets, making sure that you are, again, I think of, it takes me into sort of hiring. Like how can you hire interesting people into your team that maybe don't have a traditional design background? And some great designers and previous teams, you know, one was a psychologist. They had been working in psychology, um, but that lent itself really well because they were they were kind of examining human behavior. They were understanding um, how, that, how that worked and what, what could inform different behaviors and patterns. And they were just great at, at kind of like, telling stories on behalf of what this the user might be thinking at a certain time. Uh, I, at Netflix, I work with um, game designers. They're thinking in terms of logic and rules and, and different ways of like, oh, here's the game loop that we need to build in. Almost like it's kind of storyteller thinking about the, the journey that someone will go on and the path they could go down. And I was always seeing that as a great analogy for user, you know, what we might classify as user experience because they're trying to understand how to take a person through a journey. So always trying to look for different ways of people whose skills are maybe not quite as kind of straight lined as, as you would think and, and coming at things from different angles, making sure that you're able to kind of like bring in uh, different points of view and different perspectives that don't seem like they would normally normally fit. It's like, well, actually, that's quite good. Let's give it give this to someone else to look at who has no understanding or no context and see how they respond. Um, just generally looking at things differently. I think you need to be able to do that. Um, there's a an artist um, who, I, who I follow called Joshua Davis. Uh, he would put food coloring into his eyes so that he could see things differently. He'd look at his art differently. So he would he would literally have this different lens uh, on things. Uh, really, really interesting, and, and it, it could help shift his perspective on like, oh, now that now that everything's red, 
I can see how this is like different and, and start to play around with stuff. And he's a, he's a great kind of digital generative artist now. And he, he, I've been following his work for a long time, but I, I, that stuck with me. The fact that it seems a bit, you know, out there to kind of do that, but it was always like, Oh, he's just looking at things from a different perspective and, and coming at things from a different angle. You don't need to go to that extreme necessarily, but I think there's something in that as, a, as an approach. Thank you so much, Anne, for sharing all these wonderful insights with us. So could you please share with us how does your day look like on any interesting stories? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, to sort of maybe more touch on, so I'm a, a design manager. I still am someone who kind of like likes to be creative. So I, I, I think recently, again, I've just started a new role, so I'm still figuring out the kind of the cadence of that. Um, but if I look back to, to roles at Netflix and Headspace, I think the my kind of approach would be to try and kind of make sure that you you are connecting with your team, like understanding the team as a, as a manager, you know, as someone who's helping support and enable those those people at, at, at their level. So it's not, hey, here's resources I'm trying to move around and assign. It's very much, okay, how do I, how do I, can I connect with this individual? Can I understand their perspectives? It's very much a kind of design exercise in itself, you know, empathy mapping, like what motivates this person? What doesn't motivate them? What, you know, drags them down? Like how can I remove those blockers? Um, so a lot of my day would be having those one-on-one -on -one conversations, making sure that the teams feel supported, they have the resources they need. Um, again, part design operations, making sure that they are able to kind of do design. How do we make sure that they they, they have the runway, they have the opportunities, they are being inspired by what is, is happening around them. And I, if I think of, you know, when we were working at um, Headspace before we were all, um, so sort of like 2019 before before COVID and everyone was locked in and all those things, what was great about it was exploring that space. We had a, a really, they still have a really great space in Santa Monica and Los Angeles. And there was always things up on the wall. There was always things that you could kind of walk around the building and, and be inspired, which was great. And and I think the one thing is, was having that stimulus around, making sure that you, the teams could see work when that when we went you know, online and everyone was digital, that that changed. We weren't able to have that same connectivity that wasn't around. Um, and, and I do miss that. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, to bringing that back to see, to churn out who are the vocal people in person. Um, but, I, but I think this um, idea that you can kind of like support people, making sure that you are giving them what they need and making sure that you are connecting with them at, at an individual level and making sure that you're giving those people opportunities to connect. So I would, I'd be looking for my day-to-day is like, okay, this pro these three projects are happening. How do I get this person who's working on this involved in this project over here? How can we get them to connect? So they're, they're, they're kind of understanding each other's things and, and those, you know, whether it's design reviews or whether it's just, you know, um, the team connecting, um, at an individual level, I think the one thing that I try to bring into any team I work with is this kind of weekly ritual of connecting. How do we share the work that we're doing? Uh, but more than just sharing the work in that process, uh, how do we share who we are and what interests us and what motivates us? Like, can we do these um, these these little presentations about ourselves and and take ten minutes to to discuss that and go? Oh, I never knew that about you. That gives me a new perspective. That gives me a new understanding. Um, and having seen people come into certain design uh, review sessions and and show, have a take time to talk about skateboarding or take time to talk about the music they create or take time to show their photography and, and just explore that other side of them was really, I think it's been really powerful for those teams to feel connected. Um, but it's also bring, bringing in those kind of like new inputs. Like, oh, it's like, you know, 
someone referring like a good movie or a magazine that you might want to kind of watch or, or read or a good book. It's like, you wouldn't have got that had you not had that conversation. If you're just focused on the work, you would just get the work done and you wouldn't, you wouldn't, that's it. Come in and do the work done, uh, follow the patterns. It, it looks like every other product done. So how do you kind of bring in stimulus? How do you bring in inspiration from all over uh, and, and get those people to connect and, and collaborate? That's my job, I feel like, is to do that. Thank you so much, Anne. Thank you, Anne, for sharing all these wonderful insights with us. So we'll conclude the show by you recommending three favorite books of yours and also people who inspire you the most in this space. Yeah, okay, sure. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll give you two that I've read and one that I'm currently reading uh, in terms of books. And I, and I put it on there because I'm already, I think, halfway through and it's it's, it's great. So um, in the first book, or maybe the series of books is uh, Steal Like an Artist uh, by Austin Cleon. He's a great artist. Um, he he writes very much around these, uh, the idea it's like, if you take the title literally, it's not stealing and, and you know, repurposing for yourself. It's just, but it's understanding that, you know, you can be inspired by so many things around the world, uh, around you. And, and how do you pull on those things? How do you pull on that uh, to kind of inform your work? Yeah, he, has a, he has a great blog. He has a great uh, Instagram and, and um, Twitter account, but his books are, are really good. I've listened to them. I'm actually going to go out and buy them physically now because I've like, I think it's, definitely worth doing that uh the second one is uh, creativity inc by ed catmull so this is the, the, the kind of the pixar story how it came together how it came to be how steve jobs influenced that um how that creative team kind of evolved from a very small kind of set of almost like engineers to kind of like a creative storytelling powerhouse um and also how they failed i think there's lots of failure in that, in that. i don't know if anyone's read the book they might know the toy story two story where everything got lost and it's like wow how did they come back from that uh, and their, their idea of this brain trust uh, re a really great book really great read and then the one that i'm reading right now which i'm really excited about getting through is um emotion by design uh, so this is greg hoffman he used to be the um marketing at uh, nike and he talks a lot about how um he kind of came into to nike and, and, and what he did and talks a lot about creativity and talks a lot about uh, being a team sport um, and the, there's a line that really resonated with me and I might even see if I've got it in front of me, but it, it talks about, you know, curiosity is the catalyst for creativity. Um, it allows you to see opportunities and harness the inspiration to seize them. Uh, finding inspiration can be difficult, uh, despite how infinite it is. So rather than waiting for it to find you, create a plan that allows it to flow naturally through you and into your work. So that's like, wow, that's like exactly where I would aspire to do with a team is like, how do you find those moments for creativity? How, do, how can you bring it in so that it doesn't feel like you're, oh, we need to be creative at this point. So let's be creative now. It's like, how is that constantly happening? And, and I think curiosity, so that being open and understanding and seeing things differently is, is key. So um, that book is really resonating with me right now. So I, I definitely recommend it. Um, as far as people, the people I, I could have followed and I'm inspired by, I mentioned uh, him earlier, but Ian Spatler, again, I love, I, I, I watched that documentary a few times now and I really enjoy it. But I think his perspective on things, like he was at Instagram, but he also worked on the Nike Fuel Band, you, you'll see from the documentary, um, just as a really kind of interesting, take on uh, the world. Julie Zhu, uh, so she was uh, the head of design at Facebook. Um, I think she was an engineer when she started. She came into Facebook really early and just her transformation, just the kind of like the, the way that she wrote and was kind of exposing her herself and kind of getting feedback, I think was really inspiring. I think that her book as well, um, as making a manager or becoming a manager is is, is Oh, a, really, a great text. I've, I've given that to to managers that I've, I've I've said, hey, I could tell you how to do stuff, but Julie can do it way better than I can. Read this book. Um, so so Julie's great. 
Uh, and then uh, Kirby Ferguson. So um, he did this documentary series called Everything is a Remix. Fantastic. Uh, it was, um, I feel like it's maybe a decade ago that he did the original one. And he's kind of come back to it constantly and revisiting um, different tropes and different things around this idea that um, nothing is new, nothing is original. They're all remixes of different ideas combined together and the, and the, the documentary is just really well done i think it was a kickstarter uh, i fell in love with it as soon as it arrived and, and, and i anticipate his changes and updates to all the time um but i think he's really smart the way that he frames stuff he's, he's a really good storyteller and, and I, love his, I love his work a lot thank you so much Aaron, for sharing all these wonderful insights with us we're looking forward to host you again in our upcoming episodes thank you so much for your time yeah my pleasure thank you for having me on 